Well, here in our study of Daniel, the uh, first six chapters that we've gone through, we've seen some really awesome and exciting stories, uh, some, some neat things that we learned uh, about Daniel and how he took a situation that looked, you know, looked, looked bad, looked, you know, like doom and gloom for him. Uh, he took those situations, he took the place that he had been exiled to, that he hadn't chosen, and we saw where he chose to bloom where he had been planted. He chose to be used by God wherever it was that he found himself in whatever situation that he found himself in. So we've been learning some great lessons ourselves about how we must bloom where we've been planted in in our time, in our space, in our job, in our school, in our neighborhoods, in our situations, God wants to use us for His glory, and that's our choice for uh, whether we will bloom where we've been planted or not. But now we find ourselves here in Daniel chapter 7 and, and chapter 8, and just to be flat honest with you here, it really starts to get weird. Uh, here in chapter 7, the, the second half of the book of Daniel, uh, if you just read through it at surface level, uh, it can be a little confusing, uh, it can be a little intimidating, but, but friends, that don't mean that we can just skip over it and disregard it uh, because it's included in God's holy scripture. And what we find now is instead of Daniel interpreting dreams, we've seen him interpreting king's dreams and interpreting writings on the wall. And, and while he's been interpreting dreams, now we see that he's having a dream of his own. He's been given a, a revelation by God uh, himself. And he's having dreams, as you read along, he's having dreams about beasts. He's having dreams about dragons. Uh, he's having uh, visions and revelations about the Antichrist and end-time events that will take place. And, and that's one of the main reasons that I was led to do this series on the book of Daniel, because we've been doing this study on Wednesday nights for over 20 weeks now. Uh, we've been looking at the, the details and, and what we can learn from the book of Revelation and what we've learned as we've been going through Revelation is that there are many references and many tie-ins and many uh, like uh, prophecies that are not only in the book of Revelation, but also found in the Old Testament of the Bible. And one of the main places that we find that is right here in the book of Daniel that we're studying. And some of you may not realize it, but your Bible... The Bible that we use, God's Holy Word, is comprised of 25% of your Bible is filled with prophecy and written about prophecy. 25% of your Bible, one-fourth of the Bible, is prophecy and prophetic. And for every mention in prophecy in the Old Testament, for every prophecy about Jesus' first coming, his coming uh, as Jesus, born in a manger. For every prophecy that we have in Scripture about His first coming, there are eight times that many more about His second coming. And so, friends, we should pay close attention to the fact 
that there's eight times more prophecy, eight times more teaching in the Bible about Jesus' second coming than His first coming because at His second coming, He's coming back a whole lot different than He did the first time. And we're going to see that here uh, in our study uh, today. And, and these prophecies, these prophetic uh, writings, folks, they're, they're for all of God's people. They weren't just for the people uh, in the Scriptures. They're for all of God's people, all of us, from then uh, till today to teach us uh, to look at the future, to know what the future is holding so that we can bloom where it is that we've been planted. And, and I just want to say this about prophecy today. Because I think there's a, a lot of people in our world today that claim to be prophets and claim to be sharing prophecy uh, that we need, to, we, need to, we need to pay close attention to if that's of God or if that has a biblical base to it. All right? Because all prophecy that we see in Scripture is biblical in nature. And speaks to the fact that, that God is going to be glorified and God is going to be victorious. And so all prophecy is, is God-breathed and God-initiated so that we might see Him and know Him and understand how He's going to work in the days ahead. So if somebody comes along and they said, I'm going to prophesy over you. And they say, you know, uh, two weeks from today, you're going to have an ingrown toenail. Right, you probably need to question that, okay? Because that has nothing to do with the glory of God or the building of God's kingdom or so, so that people might know and, and see God, okay? So we, we, we've got to be a, a little bit watchful. Scripture says we need to be sober. We need to be uh, vigilant. I was listening, Lynette was listening to, uh, uh, is it Linda or Lisa? Rothschild, who were you listening to yesterday? Yeah, whatever her name is. And uh, some of you ladies were there in person down at Antioch. And she was talking about being sober-minded, being vigilant. What that means is we need to be alert. We need to be paying attention. And, and, and we need to know when, when people are, are saying that they're speaking prophecy, that it's truly prophecy from God. And, and so before we dig into our text today... Uh, I just want to point out something we talk about a lot in our Wednesday night Bible study, uh, and it's this. All Scripture is not in chronological order, okay? And so it's helpful to have not only the Bible, but to have, uh, you know, scholars and commentaries, and they even make uh, chronological Bibles now that put everything in, in, in a, a timely format. But uh, today what we're seeing here in the book of Daniel is all of this is not in chronological order. Uh, last week we left off in chapter 6 where we saw that Daniel was in his at least his mid-80s uh, last week and we talked about that. But here in Daniel chapter 7, scholars and historians tell us that his writings and what he's sharing here was actually from a time frame of when he was in his 60s. Okay, So about 20 years previous to where we were uh, last week. And so uh, let's go ahead and dig in. Jan Daniel chapter 7, 
Uh, going to start at verse 2, and I'm just telling you, friends, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose this morning. Uh, but, but stay awake and stay with me. Somebody told me last week in early service, they said, you woke me up three times this morning. So just stay awake and, and stay with me, uh, because I'd hate to have to wake you up from your nap. Uh, but I believe, if, we're going to go through this pretty quickly, but I believe it'll all make sense to you as we tie it together uh, and, and get to the end of this today. Chapter 7, verse 2. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. For those of you that have been joining us in our Revelation Bible study, uh, we've seen this. We've studied this uh, there in Revelation. Now, in the Old Testament... And in prophecy in general, beasts are often used to represent a world government or a, a world kingdom, if you will. So, so Daniel is making reference here. He's prophesying about these four different kingdoms. And the first one, he, he says, he talks about in verse 4. He says, the first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. Now some people will want to take this and they will want to, they want to somehow make this about the United States with the eagle and its wings being torn off and that you know America will have to fall in the end and all that. And I do believe that America will have to fall. But, but this specific prophecy here is actually about Babylon, where, where Daniel is, and the wings getting torn off. If, if you will remember, uh, this represents when God humbled King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember when we studied that back in chapter 4, and he, he lost his mind, and, and then God restored his mind, and, and he comes to his senses, and he actually becomes a, a follower of God, and he worships God. And then verse 5, he says, And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up and eat your fill of flesh. Now, this bear represents the Medes and the Persians. And if you've been following along in our series, you know that we saw in chapter 5 that they came and conquered Babylon. Okay? So this is a reference to that event that took place. Verse 6, after that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Now this third beast represents Greece under the leadership of Alexander the Great. Okay, and, and the fact that it's a leopard with wings tells us how quickly Greece would come in and they would overthrow and overtake this region uh, and this part of the world. And, and when this all took place, Alexander the Great was actually only 30 years old when he came to power and Greece uh, had this, this major takeover in the region. And the four heads that's prophesied about here uh, is that his kingdom, Alexander the Great's kingdom, would be divided up between 
uh, four generals, kind of like, if you would, be four separate uh, units there. Stay with me because this is also very important to understanding where this is going. Verse 7, after that in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. All right, And so this fourth beast is Rome and the Romans, who would later come in, conquer the Greeks. They would totally be and have absolute power over all of this territory and this, you know, all the world that they knew at this time. The iron teeth represented uh, Rome's incredible strength and power is what it represents. And the fact that it had ten horns, all right? In the Bible, uh, horns typically uh, represent power, all right? Power and uh, the ability to, to be able to do damage. Think about it like this. An animal with horns usually has the upper hand on an animal that doesn't, right? I mean, it, it just does. And so these horned nations represent the most powerful nations. Uh, I, I saw a video the other day, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, bull poker. Uh, a lot of you are familiar with, with poker, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, there's this thing called bull poker that they'll do a lot of times at a rodeo. And they'll sit around, they'll have four people sitting around the table, and then they'll turn loose this mean bull that has these huge horns, and they'll try to get him to charge these guys sitting at the table. And whoever's left, the last person that's still seated there that hasn't been actually mutilated by the bull is the winner of bull poker, right? And I don't know who'd want to play that, but people, people do. Uh, but anyway, things with horns normally win over things that, that don't have horns, and so, uh, see, this isn't hard at all, is it? I mean, this is easy to understand. It's not that complicated, especially if you have commentaries and Bible scholars and all that. But then a new detail is added to Daniel's dream here in verse 8. He said, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Now, this is our first prophecy that we see here of what we've been studying on Wednesday nights as the Antichrist, okay? Who boasts and sets himself up to be worshipped and he blasphemes against God. And if you keep reading and you go on over to chapter 8, there's more of uh, this prophetic uh, vision that Daniel has, but you basically see the same thing, the same message, just kind of from a different angle. But it goes on to describe the downfall of Alexander the Great and the great power struggle that takes place between these four generals that we saw earlier. And by the way, Daniel writes all of this about 200 years before any of it actually takes place. It's amazing prophecy, all right? 
And Daniel continues with his prophecy there in, in chapter 8, describing this ruthless person who would come to power, who we now know looking back in history was actually a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who is often referred to in the Old Testament as the Hitler of Old Testament because he was so evil and he killed so many people. He brutally murdered tens of thousands of Jews just because they were Jewish. He had a coin made that had his image on the coin and it said, had inscribed on that coin, King Antiochus, God in the flesh. He sets up a statue of himself. He has a statue of himself and he has it built and he has it moved into the temple and it's set up in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the Jews were demanded, they were commanded, they were made to worship this statue there in the temple of this king. And not only that, but they were also forced to eat the flesh of pigs. And for those of you that know anything about Jewish culture, you know this was probably the most offensive thing that could be forced upon them as Jews. It was complete blasphemy against God. And then in chapter 8, verse 25, it says, He will cause deceit to prosper. And he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Now again, this is talking about King Antiochus here. Alright? You want to know how this king was destroyed? Out of nowhere... He gets a stomach virus. <laughs> Anybody ever had a stomach virus? He got a stomach virus so bad that he goes insane and he dies. Not by human power, but by God's. And don't tell me that my God don't have a sense of humor. I can make so many bathroom jokes right now about this. <laughs> but here's what we need to understand about all this today. King Antiochus, or whatever his name is, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. My son that's getting a doctorate in theology, well, I'm sure correct me when I get home. But He was no doubt the specific fulfillment of this prophecy. Okay? But here's what's really interesting about all this. And we need to pay close attention to. It's how later Bible writers and apostles and even Jesus would treat this prophecy. Because this actually teaches us something important that we need to know and understand about Bible prophecy. And it's this. First, even though the events here in Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8 were clearly fulfilled, all right? Jesus and the apostles, John 
the Apostle Paul, who all lived some 200 years later, all point to this prophecy as something that is still to come in the future. Mainly, the the rise of the Antichrist. In fact, you can say that the book of Revelation, who was written by John, is built on these prophecies of Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8. And so, this prophecy of Daniel, along with Jesus and the apostles, it teaches us two important things about prophecy. First is this. The prophecies about the Antichrist have already, but not yet, been fulfilled. And so we need to know that and and understand that. For many prophecies, there are actually two different fulfillments that take place. And the first fulfillment gives you a picture, if you will, or a warning, if you will, of the one that has not yet been fulfilled. Okay? And King Antiochus here was a picture of what ultimately the Antichrist to come would be like. And and I'll give you an example. When the the Apostle Paul uh, talks about the coming of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he does it in terms very similar to Daniel chapter 8. And what Paul is doing here is basically this. He's written this letter to the church at Thessalonica. And what is taking place here are people, people are beginning to study these prophecies, look back in history, and they're going, well, you know what? Actually, the prophecy of Daniel, we know now the history of this. This prophecy has already been fulfilled. And so the end times have already taken place. And so there's this debate that's going on in the church about whether the end times have already come or if they haven't come. And so Paul basically is writing this letter to them to try to clarify and to explain exactly what's going on here. And so let's look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 3. He said, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. For those of you that have been studying Revelation with me, you know exactly this is what takes place in the end times. Verse 9, there in that same chapter, says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. But look at verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Now, can you see here how all of this lines up with Daniel 7 and 8? A future Antichrist is coming. And he will do all the same things that King Antiochus did. And what's even more interesting about this is that the temple was destroyed 
The temple is not currently standing. It was destroyed in the year 70 A.D. and it hasn't been rebuilt yet. But passages like this and, and other prophecies that we see in Scripture imply that the temple will be rebuilt. So be watching for that because that's an important piece to this. And when the temple is rebuilt, the Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple to be worshipped by the people. And again, we've seen all this in Revelation. And I'll just add here, if this kind of stuff interests you, if you kind of are like, man, I love this kind of stuff, and you hadn't been a part of our Wednesday night Bible study, yes, we're over 20 weeks into it, uh, and we're about finished with it, to be honest with you. We'll finish here in the next few weeks. But uh, all of these Bible studies from Revelation 1 on are all available online, on our website, on our app, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Etch-A-Sketch. They're everywhere, okay? So if this kind of stuff interests you, I encourage you to go back and listen. I know a lot of people listen to podcasts all the time. My voice is not near as sexy as some of those. I can't say sexy in church. Not near as awesome as the voices on a lot of those podcasts. But the Bible study is really good, and it's not because I'm doing it. It's because I'm using a great book that, that we're following, okay? But it's some good stuff. I encourage you to, to if it interests you, to uh, go and listen. But the point is this. The prophecies found here in the book of Daniel are both behind us and in front of us. And so we need to know that and understand that. The second thing that we need to understand is this. In every moment of time, in every generation... The spirit of the Antichrist, Satan's spirit, is at work. And we need to know that. We need to understand that. 1 John chapter 2, 18 says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Now, now don't miss this. Even though the Antichrist is coming, right, and, and we know that, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of Satan, is here now, is already here and in existence. We saw in, in uh, chapter 7, in verse 5, uh, there in Daniel, it says that he will devour much flesh. And you know what? I don't want, I don't want to go back and look at thousands of years ago. Let, let's just look at what's going on right now. Let, let's just look at history over the past century. And we see this. I mean, can you just chalk the Holocaust up to just someone being mean? I mean, Adolf Hitler flunked out of art school. Okay, how do you flunk out of art school unless you just don't have a pencil, right? He, he flunked out of art school, and the next thing you know, he's marching six million Jews to their death. Folks, that's more than just being a mean person. It had the eyes of a human, but something much more evil was behind it. In 1915, the Turks murdered 600,000 Armenians in cold blood. In 1932, Stalin executed over 10 million of his own countrymen and starved another 7 million of them to death. And can we not see the work of the Antichrist and of Satan in our world today? Friends, people today 
have no value for human life. No value whatsoever for human life in the world that we live in. And they almost nonchalantly will take the life of another human being. You, you can watch the news any given night. You can turn on the news and you can hear story after story of murders, mass executions taking place, not just in our world, but here in the United States of America. People nonchalantly value life today. And I would go on to say in the church, you know, we're, we're, we're proud to say, we say, you know, we take a stand for the unborn, and, and rightly we should. Abortion is, is wrong. But friends, if we're going to be pro-life in the church today, then you've got to be pro-life from the cradle to the grave. All the way through. And I think sometimes we don't always value people's lives at, I, no, I don't think I know. We don't value people's lives as if they have a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. From the cradle to the grave, we should be pro-life. Yes, we should take a stand for babies. But we should also take a stand for the vulnerable. We should also take a stand for those who aren't like us, who don't look like us, smell like us, talk like us. Worship like us. Every person has a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. And we take life so nonchalantly. We have devalued life. We call it freedom. But what we're doing is, is we're just using the powers that the world has made available to us to do the same things that we see in our text here today. And so we need to be very careful very careful when we say, I don't care if that person has a vaccine or not. I don't care if that person gets COVID or not. If they get it, it's their own fault, their own choice. Fine by me. Friends, we're devaluing human life when we don't care about our brothers and sisters that are around them. Amen. Slave trade. You know, slaves used to be a thing of the past. Slave trade and sex trade is as alive and active in our world today than it has ever been. And friends, one of the biggest places that it takes place in our world today is right here in the United States of America. And we turn our eye to it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to be involved in it. But it's here. It's happening. This is all the spirit of the Antichrist, which has the eyes of man, but is much worse. And he's at work all around us, destroying people through addictions. It's rampant in our world today. People who are addicted to so many different things. It's, it's rampant and, and ruining relationships. The spirit of the Antichrist in our world today is leading people to self-destruct. He doesn't have to kill them. He's creating a situation where they're just going to self-destruct and take themselves out. He is at work everywhere trying to get people to question the Bible. 
He's in university classrooms. He's in television studios. He's in corporate boardrooms. And he's doing his greatest work today on social media and the internet. There is a supernatural evil power at, our, at work in our world today trying to turn people from the one true God. And here's the bad news about all this. Folks, we can expect this to happen until the end of time. Matter of fact, it's not going to get any better. It's just going to continue to get worse. And you're like, well, that's depressing. So glad I came to church today. All this encouragement. Somebody's thinking, he got up on the wrong side of the bed. I know it is depressing, isn't it? It is hard to hear. It is doom and gloom. But friends, don't miss the good news in the prophecy. Don't miss the good news. Even in the age of the Antichrist, the Ancient of Days still rules and reigns. Amen? Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 again and look at what Daniel says. In the midst of all of this doom and gloom, in the midst of all this evil, in the midst of all of this that's, that, that's going on that's just mind-boggling, these prophecies about darkness, prophecies about judgment. Look at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. I learned something here I had never, ever noticed in Scripture before. God's throne has wheels. I never knew that. It makes sense, right? Because he's everywhere. I mean, he's not stationary. It would only make sense that his throne would have wheels. And I can nearly assure you they're chrome. I promise you. But here, in the midst of all of this, friend, don't, don't miss this. This is the good news, right? God is here in the midst of all of this, calmly, Coming to take his place as judge. And, and I love this name, Ancient of Days. I love that. I, I'm feeling more like that, you know. Uh, some of you are looking more like that. But, but he is the Ancient of Days. You know, I, I was thinking about this when, you know, our, our kids are little and, you know, our kids would try to pull something over on us. But maybe, maybe not our kids. Maybe somebody at work or a jokester or somebody like that. And our response would be like, I wasn't born yesterday, right? I may have been born the day, but I wasn't born yesterday. And, and what we mean by that when we, when we say that term is this. Well, you know, I've, I've been around the block a few times. Matter of fact, I've been around the sun a few times. Which means that I've got a little more experience. I've got a little more wisdom. Because I've been around a little bit longer. That's kind of how it works, right? And God is among us going and saying, 
I've not just been around the block a few times. I've not just been around the sun a few times. I created your block. I created the sun. I, I was around before any of that ever existed. I've been around since the beginning of time. And so you know what? Nothing gets past him. Nothing gets past him. Nothing surprises him. God never learns anything new. He's never caught off guard because there's never been a time when God was not fully God and fully in control on His throne. His hair is white, meaning that He has wisdom and authority of the ages. And even though these events that Daniel predicted appeared to be so bad and so dark and so evil at the time. Friends, as bad as it was, and it was bad. And, but you can look back on history and you can see how God took these horrendous events and He used them for His good and used them for His glory. You see, when Persia overthrew Babylon, one of the things they did was, when they came in and took over, was when Persia became the most powerful in the land, for whatever reason, they actually rebuilt Jerusalem. And they rebuilt the temple. They paid for it and everything. And later on, both Jerusalem and the temple would be crucial to Jesus' ministry here on earth. You see, he used those horrific events. He used them to rebuild the holy city, to rebuild the temple, so that Jesus would have a place to come and teach and come and show us who he was. And then after that, the Romans became the dominant force in the world. They were the most powerful Teeth of iron, right? They had all the power. They had all the money. They had all the resources. And while they were so evil, and they did so much evil in the world because of the resources they had and because of the money that they had, you know what they did? They began to develop and to build all of these roads all throughout the area and all throughout the region. And oh, by the way, those roads made it possible for the good news of Jesus and the gospel to be carried from place to place faster and further than it ever had been before. In all of this mess, in all of this chaos, in all of this evil of earthly kingdoms and power and evil, God was creating a situation. He was actually creating the perfect situation for the coming of the Messiah and the spread of salvation to every corner of this world. The point is this. God takes everything. You hear me? Everything. He takes everything and He uses it for His purposes. He's at work in every disaster. 
He's at work in a pandemic. Using it to move his church forward to the day of his second coming, the coming of Jesus Christ. And so, folks, we should be encouraged by that today. We, we should be encouraged knowing that today, that as we continue to live in an evil world, we continue to live in a place where the Antichrist is doing his dead-level best to destroy people and families. We should be encouraged that God is at work in the midst of all of this. He is as work, at work. And as difficult as it may be, as hard as it may get, as difficult as your circumstances may be today, and as hard as it is to understand, God still sits on His throne. And He is working in all of these things. He's working in your mess. He's working in your problems. And He will carry out His purposes. He is the Ancient of Days. And I'll close with this. One day... The God who currently rules over the world will come to rule in the world. He's coming. He's coming. You ready for that? Daniel says in chapter 7, verse 11, Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient days and was led into his presence. Verse 14, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. It will not be defeated. It will be one kingdom that will stand forever. And His kingdom is the one that will never, ever be destroyed. Friends, one day this unseen God who is at work among us is going to be seen by all and worshipped by all. And oh, by the way, we learned a few weeks back in our study of Revelation, He's coming on a white horse. And you know what? I'm coming right behind Him on my white horse. I always wanted a white horse. I'm going to get one. Because it says He's coming on a white horse and all of His followers and armies are going to follow Him riding their white horse, and God is going to be seen. And in that moment, the power of the Antichrist and all of his armies and all of his spirits of evil are going to be taken away. How? Are we going to be coming to do battle with him? No. He's going to be taken away. He's going to be taken out. He's going to be killed, destroyed forevermore with the word of Jesus. Paul said there in 2 Thessalonians that we looked at earlier that Jesus will destroy the Antichrist and his armies with just the breath of his mouth. John says, what I saw when I saw my revelation that was given to me is that Jesus did it with just a word. He just spoke a word. Now for King Antiochus, it was an invisible stomach virus that killed him, right? And the Antichrist... He's going to be killed. He's going to be destroyed by 
a spotless lamb. A gentle, spotless lamb, the lamb of God. And folks, when he came the first time, when Jesus came the first time, he allowed himself to be gored and killed by those who had horns of power. He allowed it to happen. But you know why he did? He was doing that for you. And he was doing that for me. And he allowed those with horns of power to mutilate him and kill him and take his life to die for mine and your sins. But the next time he comes, those horns of power will no longer have any power. No longer will they have their kingdoms on this earth because the next time He comes, He's coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming as a mighty warrior that is victorious forevermore. He's coming. He will be seen. He will be known. And He will be worshipped when He comes. Friends, I don't know about you, but some days I just need to be reminded about the Ancient of Days, and that He is still on the throne, and He's coming back, and He's going to rule this world. It's going to be His, and all of us will worship Him. And so today, be encouraged today. I know that most of this was hard to hear, and uncomfortable, and It's hard to think about the fact that our kids, our grandkids, and our great-grandkids are going to see this kind of stuff continue and to know that it's only going to get worse. But here's what we need to know, and here's what we need to be teaching our children and, and our grandchildren. This place is not our home. Our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. And so we have to know and understand as followers of Christ that every setback that we may face can be used for His glory. It can be used to advance the gospel for His glory because when people see us facing these things and these challenges and these obstacles and this evil, when they see us approaching those things with, my God is still on the throne. He's still on the throne. Every setback is just a setup so that he would be seen and he would be known. Friends, in the cancer, in the broken marriage, that wandering child, the chronic pain, God's at work in all of that. He he just is. And so as his bride, as the church, we have something to do We have an assignment until His great appearing, until He comes back. We are to preach, we are to teach, and we are to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to be His witnesses in all the world. We're to be the light in the darkness. When we walk into a room filled with darkness and confusion and chaos, we're bringing the light and the peace and the joy with us when we walk into those situations. Is that what people see in and through your life? Are you just adding to the darkness? Are you bringing light to the darkness? We've been called to be the light. Friends, God's desire is that all men, women, and children would know Him as their Savior. 
Doesn't matter where they live. Doesn't matter how they talk. Doesn't matter what color their hair is. Doesn't matter how they vote. It doesn't matter how they smell. His desire is that every single human being would come into a relationship with Him and have the knowledge of truth. That's on us. That's on us. That's what we've been placed here to do. That's what we've been called to do. He has given us His Spirit. We have His Spirit living in our hearts and our lives. And He said, I gave you this Spirit. And He told us that greater is He that is in you than this chaos that is in the world. Greater is He that is in you than the Antichrist that are all around us. Greater is He that is in you than the one that is doing so much damage in this world today. And He goes on to say this, No weapon formed against you will prosper, and all of those who rise up against you will fall. And all authority has been given to you to go into the world and make disciples. Friends, as the church... It's our time to shine. It's our time to shine. It's our time to bloom where we've been planted and to do what we're supposed to be doing. And if you're here today, or maybe listening online to this message today, and you haven't totally surrendered your life to Jesus... And you've never fully allowed Him to be in control of your life and your situations and your family. Listen, the goal of the enemy is to take you out. The goal of the enemy, the spirit of Satan and the Antichrist, is to destroy your faith and to destroy you. It's His goal. It's His purpose. It's what He does. And it's happening to some of you as I speak. You've lived in sin. And it started out as something that seemed to be pretty awesome. But it's turned out that it's not what you thought it would be. And it's devouring you. And eating you alive. And friends, it's only going to get progressively harder To be a Christian in this world. It's only going to get harder. To be a Christian in this world. This world is going to get worse. Before he makes it better. And there's a day of reckoning that's coming. There's a day of judgment that's coming. Where he's going to separate. The false Christians. Those who have never followed him. Those who have pretended to follow Him and been half-hearted and half-committed Christians, He's going to separate them all out between the ones who aren't and the ones who are real and authentic followers of Christ. Can I ask you this morning before we go, where are you going to be when He does the separating? Where are you going to be? And if that scares you today, or if that bothers you today, it ought to. It ought to. But the good news, 
is that today you can give yourself fully and your life to Jesus Christ. By admitting today you can't save yourself. There is nothing that you can do to save your soul. And you need Him to do all the saving. Submitting yourself, your life, and your plan for your life to Him. And there's someone here, I believe today, or watching online, that needs to do just that. We've been warned. We've been warned. History repeats itself. We know what's coming. We know who's coming. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, today I thank you so much for, again, the, the reminder we see in here your love for us. These prophecies are, are simply words of warning. Here's what's coming. Here's what you must do in order to be prepared for what's coming. We try to complicate it. We try to make a riddle out of it or some sort of puzzle. It's not hard. Jesus is coming again. He's going to take those who are saved and live their lives faithfully to be with Him. The rest are going to be cast into a lake of fire. That's not mean. That's not evil. Because every single person here today and watching online has had multiple opportunities to make a choice. And so, God, today, I'm giving that to you. I can't make decisions for anybody. I can only share your word. I can only share the warning. And I can only share the good news. God, the good news is truly awesome news. That you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And may we live our lives in this world as light in the darkness. That we would be a reflection of our Father to those that we come in contact with. Extending love, mercy and grace and forgiveness to others. And God, seeing other people valuing all life. Valuing all human life. Knowing that every life has a soul. And every soul is going to spend an eternity somewhere. Challenging, challenging word. But God, we thank you for it. We love you for loving us the way that you do. And the way that you've blessed us. And you've gave us the help. And you gave us the authority to go out from this place. And be the light in this world. I love you. Thank you for your love for me. In Jesus' name I pray.